In the uh, Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man could do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. We are studying on this subject today of are you saved or deceived? This is a very important question because as I travel about this country and other countries, I find that most people do not know or understand what that term means to be born again. And I want us to uh, look at that, uh, be sure we understand it, and then we will be in a position to know what Jesus said that every man or woman must do in order to go to heaven. They cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. And I want you to let that word again just sink deeply into your heart, yes, and even your soul. Because Nicodemus, he's a ruler of the Jews, highly intelligent, and he has sought out Jesus by night because the Jews were persecuting Jesus every time he turned around, everything he said. They despised him. They tried to trap him in something because what he was saying to them was, your religion is no good. It's empty. It has nothing spiritual about it. And we are, after all, spiritual beings as well as fleshly beings. So then that makes us want to open this subject of being born of the flesh and being born of the Spirit. Two different births. Now, first of all, let's go back to the Garden of Eden whenever man was first created. The Bible says that God took the dust of the ground, that he formed man out of that dust, and he breathed into his nostrils a living soul, and he became, um, I'm sorry, uh, he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. So we can see there that when the man was first born, he just laid there. He was made as he was, but he had no life in him. 
So therefore, he had no interest in getting up and uh, eating of all that beautiful fruit that there was in the garden or enjoying the beautiful flowers, nothing like that. He didn't have any life. And so it was that God gave him life and he became a two-fold being. He was flesh and he was spirit. When God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul. So he was dead up until that point of time. Now, we want to examine this very carefully because this has to do with every individual that has ever been born on this earth or ever shall be. Jesus is talking to a man, as I have said, that is highly educated. And he sits on the Sanhedrin court. And he's a man that has heard seemingly about everything. But he knows there's something missing in his heart. And so he sought Jesus out. He knew who Jesus was. He knew his name. But he didn't know him. And this, I'm sure, is the situation with many of you that you have... Uh, heard all these different teachings and doctrines and things like that and you may have even embraced one but you know that in your heart that you are empty you don't have what you're searching for well Jesus is the answer that you need to have in order to satisfy that longing in your heart and it's in every man's heart that there's a there's just something missing and until we find the Lord, you'll never be satisfied. You just cannot be satisfied. Now, when God made this man, he also put him to sleep, took a rib out of his side, and made a wife for him because he saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And so God brought the woman, the woman, and gave to Adam. And he placed them in this beautiful garden that God himself had planted eastward in Eden. And he told them, Of all the trees of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Now then, we are just about to hear the first law that God ever gave mankind. He said, Of all the trees of the garden thou mayest freely eat, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Thou shalt not eat of it. Now that was the law. That fruit was forbidden. He was not to uh, eat it. And so it was that every law has a penalty. And we can go all through Scripture and find out that the wages of sin is death and on and on. But what I want you to see is that the penalty that God attached to breaking this one law. He said, In the day thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, here we find that God is talking about his soul. In other words, spiritually, he was going to die. Because you can look in the fifth chapter of the book of Genesis and find there that Adam lived to be 930 years old 
So, yes, he was going to die physically. But this is not what God said concerning the death. He said, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So it had to be the spiritual death. God could no longer come down in the garden and walk and talk with Adam and his wife because sin had separated them. I mean, one sin had separated them. When God did come through the garden that day, Adam was not in the place where they usually met. So he began to call, and he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam answered and said, I heard thy voice, and I was afraid, and I hid myself because I was, an, I was naked and I was ashamed. Then God says to him, Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the forbidden fruit? Have you broken my law? Have you rebelled against me? And he said, Well, the woman thou gavest me, she did eat, and then brought to me, and I did eat. And so he had sewn together fig leaves and tried to hide among the bushes with just fig leaves to cover their nakedness. God rejected that. This man had tried to cover his own nakedness before God, and God rejected that then, and he still rejects it today. Because, like Adam, as soon as we find out we are sinners in the eyes of God, then we too start trying to hide. We do use different things in uh, trying to conceal our lost condition. I think one of the most prominent ones is that we try to appear righteous before men. You can read all through the ministry of Jesus, and that was exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees would try to do. They tried to appear righteous in the eyes of men, God knowing their hearts. And so it was that uh, whenever this law, one law, was broken, the man lost that fellowship with God. It no longer existed. So God could not walk with him, would not walk with him, because this man was a sinner. Now you and I, we are born into this world with sin because Adam is our father. It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, yellow, red. Adam is our father. We don't know that we are sinners in the eyes of God until we're old enough to realize that we have broken His law. And then when we know the difference between right and wrong, then we are lost. We're separated from God just like Adam was. And there is a difference between being lost and being under conviction. You see, Adam was lost, and he ran to the woods. But God had not yet passed sentence upon him that had been spoken earlier. And so it was that it was a matter of time before that sentence would be carried out. Just like it is with you and I. We are born in this world as sinners with a sentence of death upon us. And the fifth chapter of Romans, the twelfth verse, plainly says, For by one man 
speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men because all have sinned. Well, we got our sinful nature from our father, Adam. So as we look at this, we see that Adam was condemned and under the sentence of death. And whenever God rejected his religion, talking about Adam's religion, which was uh, self-righteousness, he tried to cover himself, God went out to where that there was just a little lamb or lambs feeding, and he killed. And those lambs had done nothing wrong. They were innocent, innocent. They were pure. They didn't have the blight of sin on them in any manner whatsoever because uh, they had not sinned. But whenever Adam sinned, then, of course, that uh, fell on creation, the, the trees, the bushes, and so on. But whenever God took this lamb to die in the place of Adam, then this is what we find. It was God that provided a sacrifice. And this sacrifice was innocent. So it was a proper subject to be offered in Adam's place. Something that was innocent. Adam couldn't pay for his own sin. And so in type or in picture... God allowed this innocent lamb to serve as the one that accepted the penalty of death upon it. So God killed it, and when those skins that um, had passed through death, he took those skins, and he clothed our first parents. So we can see how that a sinner can be justified or accepted in the presence of God. We cannot approach Him ourselves. We have to go through a mediator. And I'm not talking about an earthly man whatsoever, none of them. But I am talking about that we go through Jesus Christ to speak to God. That's the only way. There's no other way. And so then we find that uh, whenever God clothed them, then he brought them into his court, and he said to the man, because of your participation in sin, you're the head of the race. All the blame belongs to you. Paul told Timothy, he said, uh, the man was not deceived in the transgression, Sorry, the woman's not deceived in the transgression, but the man. He was responsible. He knew what he was doing when he ate of that forbidden fruit. And so we can see then that God has uh, put him now under punishment while he lives here on this earth. And he said, because of what you've done, you're going to have to get out here and work very hard you're going to earn your living by the sweat of your face. In other words, you're not going to be able to continue to eat these fruits that I had provided for you here in the garden. You're going to have to go out and fight with the thorns and the thistles and get your living that way. 
And to the woman, he said unto her, Now, you're going to have to bear children. You're going to have to be in travail. It's going to hurt. You're going to hurt real bad. And to the serpent, he said, Upon thy belly shalt thou go all the days of thy life, and dust shall be thy meat. So then he said, Between thy seed, talking to the serpent, between thy seed and her seed, I shall put enmity or hatred. Now, we need to notice something here very, very carefully. Jesus, sorry, God is telling the serpent, he is going to bruise your head, talking about Jesus, this seed of the woman. He said he's going to bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel meaning the lower nature of Christ, which was his humanness or human body that was crucified on the cross. That's what God was talking about. And so then we see that there's something miraculous right here. He is telling us all the way back in the Garden of Eden about a virgin birth because he said, between thy seed and the seed of the woman. Well, a woman doesn't carry the seed. It's the man. And we'll discuss that in just a minute. But I want you to see what God was saying there. That in this case, there would be no human father whenever the Savior came to the world. He would be born of divinity He was divinity, and the Holy Spirit would be the one that would be his father. Now, let's go back to our lesson today whenever Jesus was talking about this new birth. Except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Friends, that is just as clear, just as plain as what God announced to Adam in the garden when he told him, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Here he's saying, You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. All right, let's just think about that. When Jesus said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that means it still is it doesn't change it's just flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit see it remains it doesn't change it is not ever going to be a part of the flesh and the flesh will never be a part of the spirit we have to have two births one of the flesh, one of the spirit. And so then we examine what Jesus is talking about by looking into the facts that we all know to be the truth concerning a birth of the flesh. How does it happen? Well, the man will overshadow the woman and he will plant that seed in her womb. And at the time she becomes with child, she probably won't even notice it. But in 
a period of time she will begin to say there's something going on down here so then she realizes that she is with child because as the days and the weeks go by she's going to be more uncomfortable morning sicknesses uh, all those things and it just is more and more a discomfortable condition to be in all right then as the time gets near the end of her term which is nine months then the agony is worse and at the time that she delivers that baby out of her womb through that small birth canal into the world it takes all the strength that she has she she thinks of nothing else except using the strength of her muscles and everything that she can do to give birth to that child and then when it's born she forgets the agony because a man child is born Jesus said all right now let's look at that spiritual birth how, how does that happen Jesus is saying the same way the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and makes it living and it's a seed that he overshadows our soul and he plants that seed as we find in the 13th chapter of Matthew that a seed that falls on good ground is the one that brings forth all right I know that that has several different meetings but I'm just trying to get you to understand that if people who hear the Word of God and disregard it Jesus said is like a man in the seventh chapter of Matthew who built his house upon the sand the wind and the rain and the storms came and blew it down because it was not on a solid foundation it was the man that built his house on the rock that had uh, his house to stand so I'm just saying that whenever the Holy Spirit plants that seed in our soul it depends on whether or not it falls on good ground or bad ground now you know every woman that uh, there's an attempt for her to get with child she doesn't always do that there's some people that can't have children or that doesn't have them well it's the same thing spiritually there's people that will hear the gospel as a matter of fact they'll hear it all their life and die lost and go to hell because they are not honest hearted now when that does begin to take effect on the good ground we notice then that there is something between us and God that is well it's wrong or something wrong and it begins to bother us just like the woman having the morning sickness only we usually have hours of the night don't we when we go to bed and we worry about dying knowing where we'll go some people doesn't know where they'll go friend you better know where you're going to go and so it was that whenever the spirit did, does his work that we know about it and it's getting worse now what do you call that well in a woman we call it uh, well pregnancy is the sample term but in 
this spiritual, carrying this spiritual seed that has bothered us, that has condemned us, made us see ourselves as lost sinners. We call that conviction, and it is, because we have been convicted of being a sinner, a rebel like our father Adam. And so there is a punishment for that. In the 13th chapter of Matthew, we find Jesus telling the people there, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now this perishing is not annihilation. There's people that like to believe that when we die, you can just, you know, be thrown into a fire and you'll burn up and that's the end of you. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? In comparison to burning, as the scripture says, day and night, forever and forever and forever. <clears throat> so there is a penalty to sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. That's the same language that God used back in the garden when he said, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I need to ask you, what makes you any different than anyone else that has ever lived on this earth? We are all the children of Adam. Now they're saying, the uh, modernists are saying that we're all the children of God. That is not true with the exception of the fact that God is the creator of all men. Now we are the children of God by creation, but not regeneration or being born again. Because you know and I know and God knows, even the devil knows, that everybody has not been born again. They're deceived. They think in the flesh, this natural life that I have, I can go out and visit my neighbors. I can um, give money to the church. I can be baptized. I can do all these wonderful things, and I'll be all right. Again, look in the seventh chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, and you're going to find down about verse 21 where that Jesus is discussing with these people who said to him, uh, well, let's first see what Jesus said. He said, there will be many that will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful things in thy name? Well, he's not going to dispute that. No doubt they did. And he said, in thy name, we have cast out devils. He still does not dispute what they said. And in thy name done many wonderful works. But Jesus said, Then I will profess unto them. Now listen. After they have given him a catalog of good works that they had performed, he said, In that day, that day of all days, that day whenever men shall face God with their sins, he said, I'll profess unto you, depart. I never 
knew you. What a chilling sentence that is to a sinner. Depart. When all this time, during the lifetime, Jesus said in the 6th chapter of John in the 44th verse, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. But here he's saying, I'm going to profess to these good people. They were religious people. They were preachers. They were teachers. They were uh, singers. Depart. I never knew you. He was not saying, I knew you for a while and then lost you. No, no. He said, I never knew you. So these are people who just took the, uh, quote, Christian work upon themselves. They didn't know God. They were not called to preach. But they assumed that if they just wanted to do good things, then they would be acceptable with God. Friends, it's just not so. Because you must remember that is in the flesh. And you can turn to the Roman letter, <coughs> excuse me, in the 7th and 8th chapter especially. And here we have a man who is called the Apostle Paul. He's the greatest preacher that has ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. He could speak so many different languages that he could speak to every man he met. And he would tell them about Christ. But here is a man who had grown in grace and grown in grace till he was what we would think of as being up at the top of the ladder. But he talks about sin, how deceitful it is. And he said, the things I would do, I do not. The things I would not do, that do I. Now, why would he do that? Well, it's because that sin is still in his flesh. It's not in his soul, but it's in his flesh. And then on down there, <clears throat> he will say, in me, and so that we're sure, positive, certain, that we know what he is talking about, he puts this part of the statement, or the clause, in parentheses. He says, in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And then he goes on through, and then down the bottom, he said, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Then he gave us the answer. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, through his righteousness, not mine. Because in his flesh, there was nothing good. Why is it today that people are trying to preach the holiness of the flesh when in reality there is none there's none. The Bible says that our righteousness is as. That means like. Filthy rags. So we find in Paul's writing to the Romans, he said the righteousness of God, which is manifested without the law. In other words, the good works of the law. It's manifested. We found it and saw it in Christ. 
He never sinned. He never broke the law of God, either in thought, in word, or in deed. He truly was, as the Roman soldier said, truly this was a righteous man. None of us, it matters not how good you are. And, and if you're a good person that treats your neighbor right, you don't uh, um, steal, you don't disobey your parents, you don't do things wrong like that, I, I am so proud of you. That's wonderful. But we're not talking about your obedience to uh, your parents or to the civil law because they're, I mean, those things, as I said, are very, very good in their place. But we're looking at something here about whether or not we are saved or deceived. So in order to know, we're going to have to walk away from all of our good works. Because the Bible says, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, friends, that gets us all. That gets preachers. That gets deacons. That gets uh, the highest offices of Christianity on this earth. And therefore, we are lost and separated from God unless we see our lost condition and we come before God with a repentant, broken heart, and a contrite spirit, meaning we're just crushed all to pieces on the inside because we realize that we have offended a holy and a just God. And we come to realize that if He throws us into the very flames and the furnace of hell itself, that He was right. He did justly. And the angels would all... Uh, Continue to praise Him for His righteousness. He had done right. So this becomes very serious, doesn't it? Because this concerns you. This is something there is no preacher, no rabbi, no pope, no uh, whatever religious figure you have. They can't do a thing about your condition. There's just nothing they can do. Why? Well, they're in the flesh. They're in sin. And that's not saying anything uh, disparagingly against anybody. It's just a fact. We are born in sin. The 51st division of the Psalms tells us, In sin did my mother conceive me. Now that doesn't mean that she was a harlot and, and out running around got pregnant. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in sin, already in it, did my mother conceive me. And so he was born a sinner. Everybody is born a sinner. Why? Well, because, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Adam is our father. And so all the descendants of Adam are sinners. It doesn't matter what generation of time you lived in, whether it was in the days of Moses or Isaiah or in the days of Christ or the apostle. That doesn't have anything to do with it. We just continue to... Uh, produce and reproduce uh, since the beginning of time. And everyone that is born into this world is born a sinner. Now, we do have an exception. But Jesus was not born of a fleshly parent. I'm talking about a father. 
Do you remember when we were talking a while ago about in the garden that God told a serpent between thy seed and her seed? You see, we said that that woman didn't carry the seed. And she doesn't. It's with a man. So when we find that the time of the birth of Christ had come to be, that Joseph had some dreams, and the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost was talking to them about what was going on here because Joseph was, uh, well, the Bible said he was a just man and uh you know, he didn't want to cause any shame or anything like that, so he's going to put his wife away. But he, God said, no, 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 Joseph, because uh, you go ahead. You don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That holy thing which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit has taken the living Word and planted it in her womb. And so, yes, Mary, no doubt, had the morning sicknesses and all the things that made her uncomfortable. But, oh, was she to be rewarded for the pain that she bore whenever the night that that child was born, that the heavens suddenly became alive with singing and rejoicing and praising God over that little town of Bethlehem. I've been there, and it is a pastoral scene, you might say. There are shepherds there. There are fields there. And it was as the shepherds watched their flocks by night that they received this news. We have been trying to spread that same news, good news, that's what the gospel is, to the ends of the earth. We're trying to tell people, listen, a Savior has been born. Just as that little lamb died for Adam and Eve as a substitute, Jesus has come to, by the grace of God, taste death for every man. So the devil tried to kill him when he was born. And God told Joseph in a dream, you take this child down into Egypt. It fulfilled a prophecy whenever he, uh, Joseph brought him back out of Egypt. He said, out of Egypt have I called my son. And so it was that Jesus grew up in a carpenter's shop. Joseph was a carpenter. He wasn't his daddy, but he was his, we'll say, step daddy. And so he grew up in obedience to his parents. And then when the years of his ministry began he went down to the river of Jordan and he was baptized of John John the Baptist was a man sent from God and he was sent to baptize or prepare a people for the Lord because in the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah uh, this prophecy had been given uh, that there would be one that would be crying in the wilderness, and this is John the Baptist, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, he was coming to establish a kingdom. And so whenever he came 
and he grew up and he had proven himself before the eyes of the people that he was not a sinner. He went down to the river of Jordan not to wash away his sins. He didn't have any. And that's the way saved people are when they go to be baptized. They've already been saved. So in the sense that God cares about, they don't have any sin. They've all been washed away in the blood of his son. So they don't have any. But they come to show that they have identified with Christ. They are dying to that old life. That's the reason when we baptize people, the uh, pastor and the candidate for baptism, after he or she has given a satisfactory experience to the church telling them of how they got saved then the church can uh, relate to exactly what they're saying. So someone in the church says, I make a motion that we receive this brother or sister as a candidate for baptism. And then after baptism, the full rights and privileges of this church. So do you see that we're not even talking about sin? We're talking about fellowship. We come into the fellowship of the church through baptism, not uh, by being baptized to wash away our sins. Your sins had already uh, better be gone before you're baptized. Don't you see, I could turn to the 8th chapter of uh, uh, the book of Acts where that Simon, you know, he was baptized. And then he come to the apostle and said, uh, let me buy this gift that you've got so that whenever I lay my hands on someone or something like this, that, well, you see, he was a magician. And people had bought his false religion. They believed in him. But Peter said, Repent. Thy heart is not right in the sight of God. So here we have a man that an apostle baptized that was not saved. I, I'm not going into that now because this is not our subject. We are talking about, well, I guess it is too, isn't it? We're talking about people that's deceived, people that have, and I hear this everywhere I go. You can ask people, have you been saved? They'll say, yes. Then I will say, tell me your experience. Well, I go to church every Sunday. I've been baptized, and I try to live good. Now, where is there a birth in that testimony or experience. There is none. Jesus said, except a man or woman be born again. It's got to be a time whenever you're conscious of your condition before God as a lost sinner. Are we going to be sinners as long as we live in the flesh? Yes. That's the reason this body must die, is because it is full of sin. And there is no sin going to heaven. And my friends, let me just say this. If you go back to the Garden of Eden and see that there was only one law that was broken, not the Ten Commandments, we're not talking about that now, but we're talking about one law. Now, if man could have fixed his 
lost condition, having broken just one law, then he could have done it then. But he didn't. He couldn't. And if God was going to allow men to uh, do good works, go to church, be baptized, all those good things that people talk about, if he was going to allow that as a righteousness that he would accept, then certainly he would have accepted what Adam had done in the garden. You know, he, he would have just said, Adam, just quit eating the uh, forbidden fruit and, you know, be a nice fella. No, that wasn't it at all. Adam was lost. And you know what? It wasn't just Adam that was lost, but all that was in the loins or in the seed of Adam. All of us. I quoted that scripture to you a while ago from the fifth chapter of Romans in the twelfth verse. For by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men because all have sinned. Now, if that plunged, one sin plunged the entire human race into eternal ruin, which it did, then what about the many sins you have committed? You know you have. I know you have. God knows you have. And certainly the devil does. But people, like in the days of Jesus, whenever the Pharisees were coming to him and talking about how righteous they were, they kept the commandments and, uh, you know, all of those wonderful, wonderful things they did. But Jesus said this. He took that law that they professed to keep, which was the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai, and he said to them, you know the commandments, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Now, that is a commandment that God has commanded you and every sinner that has ever lived on this earth to do is to love God entirely. You have not done that. I have not done that. And then Jesus said that other law, which was, you've heard it said of old time, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You have not done that. I have not done that. No one on this earth has ever done that except Jesus. So, if we have broken those two commandments, Jesus said on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. And we are told to offend the law in one point is to be guilty of all because the scripture says cursed is every one that continueth not to do all things which are written in the law to do them. So sinner friend you have hanging over your head not one law that you've broken not just ten commandments that you've broken, but millions of, of laws and sins that you have committed. What about whenever the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil? Do you know what that's talking about? Sure you do. You've experienced that, haven't you? 
people have lied they have uh, killed they've stolen they have become prostitutes for money now I realize that there's people who feel like they have to live somehow and they sell themselves for doing now of course that's not right but I have more sympathy for someone like that than somebody that just goes out here due to the love of money but now you better not take what I think is what God thinks it's wrong it's adultery and people who live that kind of life and just don't change but that's their lifestyle Paul said I've told you before and I tell you again that such shall not enter the kingdom of heaven so people listen this is a serious thing here we are all caught up in the net of sin and we just can't get out of it we're fettered by it even our wandering hearts is fettered by sin our minds and you see that's the reason Jesus was talking about the spirit of the law instead of just the latter he said you've heard it said of old time thou shalt not commit adultery that was the written law well how many had committed that but Jesus took it further to the spirit of the law and said, But I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her or a man has committed adultery already in his heart. Now then, I, there, there's no point in me going on. You know you're guilty. You know you're guilty before uh, the law of God. Well, certainly if you're guilty before the law of God, when you go to stand before the judgment bar of God, look at all those sins that's going to follow you there that you have to pay for. You better be running, fleeing to the cross where the sin was atoned for, paid for, covered, cast away God burying it in the sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered against you anymore he has cast our sins behind his back you've never seen your back you may have seen your back in a mirror or by some other means but you've never seen your back and you never will God is saying I'm going to throw your sins behind my back so that I can't see them what a, what a loving God we have he didn't have to do that he could have let every one of us go to hell and he would have been right we deserve it there's no one that is deserving of heaven we are not deserving of a loving God such as we have we're not deserving of a savior that has loved us so much that he has laid down his life as a substitute for us now then let's look just a little further when we sin how how do we do that <clears throat> well we find in the book of James how that men are uh, drawn away after their own lusts and uh, you know <laughs> it's uh it's it's a temptation it's lust that takes us away but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust 
and enticed. There's enticing things out there. Let me tell you, <clears throat> you go to any country, I don't care which one you go to, you're going to find that there are women that are so scantily clad, meaning they just don't have enough clothes on. That They are dressed like that. They're painted up in order to entice men. Now, this is what the Bible says sin is, too. I mean, you know and I know that the Bible says that the transgression of the law is sin. That's what sin is. It's the breaking of the law, the transgression of the law. Now, here, what James is talking about, he said, then, then, when we have been enticed or trapped, that's what that means, lust, uh, then when lust hath um, conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So you can see that when we get in that trap of sin and whenever we're enticed, and I mean, I don't want to just lay all this on women. Men do the same thing. And, you know, in order to be popular or accepted by people, then young women especially are gullible. They don't want to be rejected. Uh, they may not even want to be immoral. They just, they just want to be accepted. And so the devil knows just exactly how to go about that. And he will get a boy and a girl going together. And the boy, usually, he will say, Now, if you love me, you'll show me the kind of affection that I want. And so the girl, believing that this is the way she's going to win his affection, then uh, she gives in, and then she may become pregnant, or she may have her a good case of AIDS. Give her life. And you see, this is what James is talking about. He's not talking about just the physical death that AIDS brings forth, but he's talking about the physical death. Because when people get caught up in sin, it's so hard to get turned loose. As a matter of fact, you can't. It takes the power of God to deliver you from the power and the temptations of sin. Are we going to be tempted as long as we live? Yes, sir. Man or woman, I don't care who you are. You're, uh, if you're normal, you're going to be tempted. I'm not talking about just with a woman or a man. I'm talking about with riches, with uh, religion, with you name it. The devil knows how to use everything as a temptation. So now, I want us to notice something here <clears throat> that we find Jesus teaching. He is saying... That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, remember back in the garden that God said, I'll put enmity or hatred between you and the seed of the woman. There's going to be a battle. There's going to be a war. And boy, has it ever been a war. The devil tried to kill Christ and even tried to get him to come down from the cross so that he would not die for the sins of the world. But by the grace of God, he was able and willing to stay on that cross till sin had been paid for. And then you see 
the devil has tried to tell lies about his resurrection. Oh, he didn't, he didn't raise from the dead. His disciples came and got him. Well, that's just not true. His disciples thought he was dead. They were on the road to Emmaus. Um, and he joined them, asked them, why are you so sad? Oh, have you, uh, are you just a stranger in Jerusalem and have not heard the events that have taken place in the last few days? This Jesus of Nazareth, we thought he was going to be our deliverer, but they've crucified him. So Jesus began to open the Old Testament scriptures to them. And when they were about to turn in for the night, they said, come and stay with us tonight, eat with us. And he made as if he would go on. But then they insisted. So he went in and he ate with them. He broke the bread and he blessed it. And then they saw their eyes were opened as to who he was. He had done this so many times. Not only that, I'm persuaded to believe while he was breaking that bread, they saw the nail prints in his hands. And he immediately vanished out of their sight. And they said, Did not our heart burn within us as he talked to us by the way? Yeah, that's, that's the way it is. The Holy Spirit warms our heart with the Word of God. He makes us stronger. And you see here, we find that there's a war though. The devil tries to throw water on that fire that has been kindled in our heart. But as the song says, the only fire I'll ever feel is burning in my heart. It'll not be hell. So now here's what Jesus said. The wind, can you see the wind? No. But it blows where it pleases. You don't have any control over it. You can't go out here and a Spurgeon says, whistle up the wind like you'd call up a dog. No, you can't do that. But as he accompanies the word, then he blows on you. And if you look out at the wind as to what it does, you see the trees, the leaves, the grass. As the wind goes through it, it moves it, doesn't it? You see an action. Well, when the wind blows on us, we feel it, don't we? Jesus is teaching us that salvation is heartfelt. People deny that everywhere, but how do they explain the fact that this birth comes about as the Bible says? So then, 10th chapter of Rome, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. All right, how do we hear the Word of God? By the Holy Spirit preaching in our heart. Well, what does he do with that word? Well, it becomes a sharp, two-edged sword. And so he jabs and stabs around in our heart. You feel that, don't you? All right, then he still got to uh, circumcise that heart and go in and get that old spirit that's in there. Take it out. And then God said, I'll put a new spirit within you. Do you mean to tell me you would know that? Feel that? 
I tell you what, if you've got one of these kind of religions that you don't feel nothing, you're welcome to it. I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't have it. I've got to die. I've got to meet God. I'm going to know that I'm right with Him. I want to know that I met Him in this life, that I repented to Him, and that He forgave me. Well, I'll tell you what the 8th chapter of Romans and the first verse says. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Do you see that our walk has changed? It's not after the flesh. The things of the flesh, they that are of the flesh, mind the things of the Spirit. They that are of the Spirit, mind the things of the Spirit. That's what the Scripture says. It's not a matter of believing what I say. I, uh, I would ask you to never believe what I say just because I say it or anybody else. But let God be true and every man a liar. Friend, you really need to get it in your mind. You're going to have to stand before God. You're going to have to give an account for every sin, every idle word, every deed that was wrong, anything, everything. Unless you take God's offer, and that is that you allow His Son to take your responsibility of your sins upon himself, upon Jesus. Now, in the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray, but God hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity sin of us all. So you see, God has made a way for everybody. If you want to come, you've got to come God's way. And that's through repentance and faith meaning that you put your trust, your entire trust and faith in Jesus being the substitute that took your sins to the cross and paid for them. And God was pleased with it. And just the moment that you put your full trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that burden, that condemnation that lays so heavily upon your soul, it's gone like a flash of lightning, and it never comes back. But in its place, there is love, joy, peace, and so on. So how do, what kind of love is it? Well, it's a different love than we've ever known. We love God. We never did love God like the commandments said, but now then our heart's just full of love and gratitude and appreciation for what God has freely given us. There's joy. Sometimes I, I, I feel so much joy in my heart, I, I just can't hardly contain myself. Just to know, not through anything good that I have done, but through what Jesus did, that I am going to get to go to this beautiful beautiful, beautiful city where the God Himself, where the angels of God, where Jesus sits at His right hand. I'm going there. 
by his grace not by what I've done God wouldn't accept that that's fig leaves but what he's done he'll accept that he will accept the work of his son not mine not yours so friends I just want to really be sure that you understand how serious it is that you listen to what he says that you do what he says repent the Pharisees were asking Jesus, what shall we do to do the works of God? His answer was very sim uh, simple. He said, this is the works of God, that you believe on him whom God hath sent. That's all you can do in the way of works, is the trust in your heart to reach out around that cross, embrace him as a mother would her child, and love him with the love that he puts in your heart because the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost in other words it, it's not the love of the flesh that changes all the time but that love in our heart that was put in there by the Holy Spirit it's the love of God it's not the love of the flesh do you see that some people are saved there are many people who are deceived and lost. I do not want you to be one of them. God does not want you to be one of them. He wants to save you. He wants you to be his child. He loves you so much. What about God is so good that he sends the early and the latter rain? He's, well, how do you describe the goodness of God? Paul said in the 11th chapter of Romans, you know, behold, or look, the, severe, the goodness and the severity of God. God is just as severe in justice, meaning he's just as strict in justice as he is loving in goodness or in love. Now, the choice is yours, of course. There's nothing anyone on this earth can do for you. I cannot do one thing for you. There's no Christian on this earth that could do one thing for you. Now what we can do indirectly is we can pray and ask God to send convicting power down upon you so that you feel that burden in your heart and that it will lead you to prayer, deep, sincere, agonizing prayer because you have offended God. And he wants to forgive you. He doesn't. Well, let me. I was going to say he doesn't want to send you to hell. But let me just let the scripture say it. God said, it is not, is not my will that any should perish. But all come to repentance and live. So we know that repentance is involved in our salvation. What was the rich man said to Abraham whenever he was praying for his five brethren not to come to that awful place of torment he said send Lazarus back to my father's house so they'll repent he knows how you stay uh, out of hell most people today does not know how you stay out of hell you don't hear preachers preaching about repentance and faith you don't hear them talk about conviction they don't know anything about it They've never experienced it. Therefore, 
How could they know? Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. And I'm afraid the ditch is going to be full of them. My friends, I'm going to give you Jesus' admonition concerning this. He said, let every man take heed how he heareth. When you're listening to the word of God, you better take heed. If it's rightly divided, I know you can take this Bible and get it to say just about anything you want to. But I have started out in the book of Genesis, the first book. I've gone through that Old Testament. I have come through the ministry of Christ and into the apostles and even into the book of the Revelation where that all those liars and whoremongers and so on are going to be cast out because they didn't repent, because they didn't get right with God. I've gone from one end of this scripture to the other trying to assure you that this is just not an isolated part of scripture it is the theme of scripture that christ died for our sins he did nobody else can die for him nobody else can do anything about it i wonder what you're going to do about all this while it's on your mind you know if you don't do something about it now the devil's going to steal it away when you go to bed tonight and you lay there and the lord says to you you know you're lost. Why don't you come to me? Why don't you just trust me? And you say, well, Lord, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I want to get that all straightened up so I can live right. That sounds good, doesn't it? The problem is that's the devil talking to you. How do I know that? Well, that's what he said to me. I was doing things that I should not have been doing. It was wrong. And so when the Lord would come to me and say, Lord, just let me live till tomorrow. I'm doing things wrong, and I want to get that all straightened up. I want to quit it. Well, of course, God did not hear that prayer. It was just through His mercy that He let me live long enough to forget my own striving with my own sin and let me come to Him. I don't care how you cut it, you're still going to have to come to Him before you get saved. You're going to have to come with a broken heart. You're going to have to come with a contrite spirit. No rebellion left in you. You just throw down all the weapons that you've used against the cross of Calvary. you got to throw them down. So I beg you, <clears throat> seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. That's all I know to tell you. Friends, I love you. God loves you. He wants to save you. So if you get saved, please tell us. Don't ever tell anybody you're saved unless you know that you are. May God richly bless you.